Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And this is episode 38 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 38, we are going to have an, a fantastic opportunity to actually get to a lot of listener comments and questions that have come in that we haven't been able to get to the last few episodes. We've been meaning to uh, and wanting to, but we've gotten uh, side well, not sidetracked, but just uh, overly excited by talking with the last couple of uh, guests that we've had on the show. And that's been fun and awesome. And we're su- uh, certainly highly blessed to be able to have our guests uh, join us for the show. But now in this episode, we'll be able to actually talk through all these sort of the backlog of comments and questions and so forth. And once we're through that, we're going to talk a little bit about district championships for the Pacific Northwest that is coming up this weekend, just in a handful of days, Friday and Saturday. And then we'll talk about what's next. We'll talk a little bit about uh, internationals and then spend a little bit of time talking about next season, the 2019-2020 season, a little bit of a material high view, look of things, new org structure for the uh, Pacific Northwest and so forth. We'll talk about some rule book changes that have, that have taken place that we're probably going to be implementing in Pacific Northwest ne- uh, District next year. And then uh, from there, a uh, question, hopefully if we have time enough at the end, talking about paraphrased questions being valid for CDRs. And so with that, we'll just jump right into our first comment. Uh, and it's actually, it's not so much a question or anything. It's just a comment that came in from a listener uh, who was listening to last week's uh, episode number 37. And they said, uh, and they wrote in as follows. I'm just now listening to your podcast episode 37. And when Griffin brought up the idea of having time quizzes, it reminded me of something I read on Wikipedia. Sure enough, it seems that there is a quizzing program called Bible Quiz Fellowship that uses that rule. So, Scott, have you ever heard of Bible Quiz Fellowship? I haven't at all. I have also not at all, and I am deeply intrigued about how this even works from even a theoretical level. Um, The logistics of it, like, I think we discussed last week that the logistics would just be impractical. Uh, but apparently they figured out a way to do it. Yeah, it would be interesting to find out wh- where geographically these quiz programs are, and yeah, it, it's just interesting. Yeah, very cool. Well, apparently they have a Nationals 2019 tournament that's happening in Green Lake, Wisconsin, April 24th through the 27th. Uh, so the national tournament that's there, I'm kind of rummaging around on their website. I'm trying to find a rule book uh, while, while we're talking here, but uh, not not seeing one directly. Uh, wait, question sets. Oh, wow. They actually publish their question sets. Uh, take, a, uh, take a look at BibleQuizFellowship.org. There's actually, they, they publish question sets. Oh, there's some rule books. That's interesting. I'm definitely going to have to take a look at these guys after the show. It's very interesting stuff. That is interesting. Maybe we can get Abby Ashcraft to go observe a meet out in Wisconsin. Ooh, good plan. We can send a spy. I mean, a friend um, who can spy for us. I mean, look for us at what's happening in this other district. Very cool. All right. So the next question, or actually the next comment that is a question came in from uh, a different listener and it reads as follows in chapter five, verses two and three, uh, quote, now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called the Seda, and which is surrounded by five cover- covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. The question is, could there be a multiple answer chapter reference or chapter reference question here where, because the word here is key to chapter five, uh, with the answer being in Jerusalem and so on and so forth through the end of, of the verse. And if so, would the quiz master probably accept a challenge for a tricky or misleading question? So Scott, what do you think? So I think just kind of simply about the question, I don't think it's a very clear question, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't write it, but moving on from whether or not I would write it to validity, um, I think here where is obviously valid as some sort of reference question, probably a single answer reference question, but I definitely find these where or when, the use of where and when interrogative words interesting because off, because like in English, we're really just describing a single location or a single point in time, but in speaking, sometimes there are kind of multiple adjectives or descriptors on that place or that time. So here... We're in Jerusalem, but it's kind of like, zoom in, we're also by the Sheep Gate, um, the pool near the Sheep Gate. Not only are we in Jerusalem, more specifically, we're here. 
Um, and we're also surrounded by the five covered colonnades. So it's definitely a, um, multiple descriptors of the location. But usually when we ask where, we're asking for a single location. Now, I think things can definitely get murky for whens when it's like at dawn on the first day of the week. Um, and you're asking for a when because, again, a point in time can probably never be a multiple answer, really. But in that one, it really feels like it because there are two very distinct descriptions of this single point in time. So I'm curious what you think about um, multiple descriptions of a single location or a single point in time being a multiple answer or not. Yeah. Well, so in I love the question uh, posed by the listener. I hate the question of the question. Like the here where is, I think, a terrible question. I think validity-wise, as a chapter reference, I, I think it's valid. Um, it's just an awful question. Uh, it's, I, I don't know if that I would call it tricky. I just, it's just an awful question that is entirely valid, uh, from my perspective, not as a multiple answer. But the reason I love the question about the question is because looking at this verse, there is a, there is a magnificent opportunity to, uh, to examine this and understand why it is, it feels like a multiple answer, but it's not really a multiple answer. And it's not really a here where it's a here what. Uh, and that gets very kind of interesting and sort of definitely inside quizzing, uh, to, to some degree. So looking at, at verse, uh, three in particular, right? Like kind of zone in on, on, on verse three or zoom in on verse three, right? Um, here a great number of disabled people used to lie. Uh, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, right? So if you said, if you wanted to sort of figure out a question of clarifying the great number of disabled people who used to lie, who or what, or I'm not sure exactly, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, if you could isolate the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, that would certainly be a multiple answer, right? If you are talking about a great number of disabled people, like just flat out right there, and in fact, you could probably stop at the of, I mean, certainly you would need to clarify or not clarify, you would have to provide of through the end of, of the verse and include the word paralyzed. Um, but looking at really what we're talking about, we're talking about a great number of, right? That's actually, I, I would make the argument that that's actually not a multiple answer, right? That that's actually like, like a large crowd of Jews, right? Yes, there are multiple Jews within the crowd, but it is a large crowd, right? And similarly, I could look at this and say, well, a great number of, it feels like it wants to be a multiple answer question, but I don't think it really is. I think it's, I think the operative word here, it's a little tiny word, a, right? A great number. Like there's a single <laughs> collective group of disabled people and of in that group, there's the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. That part is multiple, but like if you zoom out, it's, it's more, right? So then it's kind of like, well, the question needs to be here, what? Uh, and then a great number of disabled people. That technically is a valid chapter reference question, but oh my goodness, I would never write that question and I would never want to, as a quiz master, I would never want to offer that question in a quiz meet. <laughs> Yeah, I agree with it all. I think there are some fun multiple answers in here, like um, here a great number of disabled pe people used to lie whom. I have actually also written what disabled people, which might be a little little bit misleading because you're probably going to say a great number of as the answer to that when I'm really looking for the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, but it's all in the same verse close together, so I think it works. But yeah, I agree with all your thoughts, and it's a very incisive question because it's looking at some... Um, kind of fine lines between single or multiple answers or tricky or not tricky. Yeah. So now here's really the interesting question. I would not write this as a question writer. And as a quiz master, I would not like it, but it is technically valid. And when I, when I say it, I should clarify the here, what as a chapter only reference question, not multiple answer. That's technically valid. So if it pops up, I feel like I would be compelled as a quiz master to ask that question. I don't know, Scott, do you feel the same way or different? I do. Now, at a meet like Great Western Internationals, where there are those synced, the, um, the tradition of synced question sets across rooms, I am not throwing out any question that I deem valid. Because whether it's crazy difficult or borderline tricky, um, it's coming up in all the rooms, and so I'm just going to ask it. However, at, say, district championships, which is coming up, 
We are using the same overall question set, but each room generates their own unique question set on the fly. And so if I come across a question that I just don't like, like I think it's not clear or not awesome, um, I will definitely replace it mid-quiz. Interesting. So even though this is valid, uh, you would replace it in the middle of a quiz and probably mark this one for edit then, right? If I saw something like here, where, like it kind of just makes me raise my eyebrows or look it up to check around. Like I do that occasionally and probably a good majority of the time I'm like, oh, it's fine. Um, but if I just don't like how it feels or, you know, I'll, I'll skip over it. Hmm, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I I tend to want to do the same thing. I'm very much compelled by your argument from several podcasts ago about the idea of the separate the separate mindset of the question writer and the quiz master in the quiz. And so, if it is valid, I I really really have to have a strong amount of hatred for the question to feel like I should skip over it. Um, so, like if a hear what came in chapter reference question, I would probably ask it. And then move on very quickly and hope somebody got it correct because, gosh, I don't like it. Um, but my bar is very high. Yeah, yeah, and I probably I mean, should I'm, adopt your bar, honestly. Um, no, I mean actually, my bar of throwing out a, a valid question mid quiz. So like, I I do have a high bar for quiz questions, and sometimes I, I come across somewhere I'm like, well, I wouldn't write that myself, but it really has to be on that borderline of tricky, misleading. Uh, confusing, not clear that I will exit. Sure. Is a here what chapter reference, chapter only reference going to be something you toss? I don't think here what would be because um, it's the most common interrogative word. It's only asking for stuff that follows it. Um, yeah. So if I'm asking, and especially if it's a chapter reference, I know I'm going to get out at least here. And so I don't deem it to be very difficult of a question, even if some might have a disagreement of if it's, multiple answer or not. If a quizzer jumps on a chapter reference here in chapter five, um, I would not think it would be very good quizzing if they gave a longer question than here. What? Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Here a great, I mean, they, I suppose they could go here a what that would be probably the only derivation that, that I would accept as being plausibly reasonable. Yeah, but it's generally not a good idea to, throw in the words the or a uh, to the end of your question. Like, here's a good man. He is the king. Like, just say he is whom or he is what. He, don't say he is the what. Oh, yeah. Now, I, I totally agree. I'm just, there, there's this weird thing that, that I'm noticing where quizzers feel like they almost have to. Like, if it's a single word question, they almost want to add the the or a uh, or something. Interesting. I, I think it, it definitely is, makes it harder when it's a chapter reference because... If it's a chapter verse reference, you never lose anything by making the question shorter. You can't make it more of a reference. You know, there's no such thing as a phrase reference or something. Right. Um, but for a chapter reference, sometimes you're like, ah, if I keep it at just one word, it might be a CBR. I'm not quite sure. You know, I don't know if I need this extra word. Like at, at Great West, there was a question that it was do not be what, and that was a chapter reference, and do not what would have been a chapter verse reference. So situations like that are really, really difficult to decide um, when you're a quizzer of what question you're going to give. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, then uh, our next question comes in as follows. And this is actually more of a pester of me uh, than anything else. So lastly, is is any progress being made on the quizzer functionality areas in CBQZ or in the CBQZ app? Just curious. The answer is no, because Griffin is a lazy bum. Uh, so with everything going on with great West, uh, leading up to it and then the, the trip and then, uh, stuff going on at, uh, work, uh, cause I still actually work and stuff and have a job and everything. Unfortunately, uh, it's been consuming, uh, pretty much all of my free time. So I have not actually done really any work of any substantial nature on CBQZ other than just patching a couple of bugs. I still have a couple of more, a couple, three bugs left to patch over the next 48 hours or so in prep for the quiz meet. Uh, but beyond that, I've just done very, very little development on CBQZ. I am working on a new website, uh, system for, uh, PNW quizzing. This won't have anything to do with CBQZ. This is purely just, you know, information and registration and, and stats data and so forth for the Pacific Northwest uh, district program. Uh, I am working on that. 
and trying to get that mostly done and deployed uh, before district championships on Friday. Uh, I am hopeful and actually somewhat optimistic that over the summer, in fact, probably the middle of the summer, July-ish, uh, probably right after internationals, I will uh, be able to uh, bang out a lot of the Quizzer functionality stuff uh, and put it into CBC. But unfortunately, I don't have, I have really not had a lot of time to work on that. So yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, I'm excited to see uh, CBQZ continue to add functionality and a new PNW quizzing website that will give us a little more control over um, how we orchestrate it. On on CBQZ News, while we we happen to be on it, uh, based it was uh, Scott used it for Room One in uh, at, at Great West, and during uh, championships at Great West, he uh, uh, shot up a, a a view of the scoreboard, and that caught a lot of people's attention. And I was running around with my cell phone in real time in the back. I Scott, you probably didn't notice me, but I was running around to various different officials, showing them my cell phone that was tracking in real time the score that that you were projecting. And uh, it was funny, you know, when I showed it to them, the first thing they look at it was like, oh, okay, and then they would see you update a question or something, uh, a score, and it would just auto update on my phone and their eyebrows rose every time and it was kind of a, a fun reaction. And as a result, I've heard tales that uh, CMD on the road trip back was uh, all excited about using CBQZ. In fact, I've actually got a couple three something people uh, from CBQZ who've been, or sorry, from CMD. Wow. I got to get my acronyms correct from CMD who've been uh, pinging me uh, on and off about questions about CBQZ uh, since great West. And so that's kind of exciting um, that, Looks like we're starting to grow the app uh, beyond just the confines of uh, PNW, and so that'll be kind of cool. It'll be great to have more input from more people around features and functionality that they want to see. And uh, yeah, anybody who wants to do some coding, I should I could definitely use the help. Yeah, I don't know what it is about a web page that refreshes whenever there's new information without you having to just refresh it to see if there is new information, but that's really cool and i've always loved our little meet status page that shows us all four rooms and i know that whenever an event happens in a room it shoots it over to cbqz and updates my view which as someone running a meet is invaluable to know exactly which question every room is on and if they have a team that i'm waiting on it's it's just incredible i can just do it from one location rather than send my my runners to go find out the information for me yeah all right. Well, let's uh, let's move on to talking about district championships. So, Scott, what kind of updates do you have for us about uh, DC? So, district championships will be at Kelso at the Red Lion Hotel. We probably will have some specific information about once we are there, how to register and find out who you're housed with and in what room. But I don't have those details yet. So, just rely on your coach to get you that information once you are at the hotel in Kelso. But everyone is um, staying on site there, which is awesome. And then as part of the meet, we'll announce our internationals team. And we have awards for the top 10 individuals for the year and the top five rookies for the year. So we have a little bit longer of an award session. And it'll be a great uh, final event for the 2018-2019 PNW quiz year. Yep, very cool. I'm very much looking forward to it. I think it'll be really great to be able to meet up in a hotel environment like that. It's kind of special, different than uh, what we're used to for normal district meets. I think it'll be a fantastic opportunity for more fellowship time. Uh, I have a feeling some quizzers will stay up really late uh, <laughs> and get no sleep uh, because of the uh, exciting new uh, location and so forth. Uh, so I'm, I'm both dreading and looking forward to that. I think it'll be a fantastic meet. I'm very excited for the format. I think nine quizzes, so an extra prelim over the past few years, but just the top 15 teams. Uh, I think both of those variables changing will make things a little bit difficult for the participants, which once you're kind of at this point in the year, you've filtered down to the top 15, so the top maybe 60% of our district, and I love to put a little bit of a stiffer test to the people that remain. Right. Yeah, it'll be fantastic. And then at the end, we will uh, announce the internationals team, the top 10 individuals, top five rookies. Uh, on Saturday uh, during lunch, everybody's going away for lunch and then coming back, right? Yes, so I hope that this works out, because we've never done anything quite like this before, but 
we have an hour and 20 minutes for lunch, and I set it up where 40 minutes to go out and get food, and then the last 40 minutes we will have a leadership meeting. So I hope that all of the adults can get their quizzers' food out and get them back to the church in 40 minutes, and then we will have our final face-to-face leadership meeting for the year. Yeah, should be very good. And very important, by the way, coaches, if you can be at that meeting, uh, please, please, please be at that meeting. Uh, officials, uh, future officials, po- folks who want to be officials, please be at the meeting. We're going to be talking about a whole bunch of things related to next year. Uh, we're we're going to be talking about a little bit of a, not a ton of a different organizational structure, but a slightly different organizational structure that's codified in uh, the proposed bylaws. So we do need to talk a little bit about that we need to ratify some of that uh, some of that stuff we're going to talk about internationals a little bit i'm sure uh i don't know what what else do you have on the agenda scott are you running well actually that's a good question are you running the meeting or am i running the meeting i am planning to run the meeting and i haven't looked at my agenda and i will probably look to you to fill it well fill it with anything that you want talked about and so if we don't have a ton of things then it will be short but i like to have the chance to have a meeting with everyone in kind of a sum up end of the year fashion. Yeah, definitely. And we do have a schedule, uh, a proposed schedule that's becoming more and more solidified for next year in terms of which weekends uh, and locations. I think we've got hosts for all but about two meets at this point, if I'm remembering correctly, and we've got dates more or less worked out for everything. Uh, so we'll we'll be circulating that information and uh, asking for volunteers for the last couple of slots. And, uh, yeah, I mean, just kind of walking through all of that stuff for next year. So very important not to miss out on that meeting, if at all possible. Sweet. So we're on to the 2018 rulebook, I believe. Well, so maybe. Do we want to talk at all about Hebrews, or is it premature to talk about Hebrews? We can always talk about Hebrews. Was there anything in particular you wanted to talk about? I don't know. There's uh, there's so much to talk about Hebrews. Hebrews is, I don't know, I, I, I'm... I love all books of the Bible equally, but I love Hebrews especially equally. How's that? Um, because it would be inappropriate for me to have a favorite, but, you know, Hebrews is my favorite. Um, well, James too. I really like James. Well, gosh, I really like Romans too. Okay, maybe I don't have a favorite. Okay, well, if I don't think about other books of the Bible, Hebrews is, is, is definitely my favorite book of the Bible um, for a lot of different reasons. But um, I guess we could talk a little bit about kind of the differences between Hebrews and what we are experiencing now with John. Yes, so I think that the two hardest quizzing years, so do we have an eight-year rotation? Seven-year? Eight-year. Uh, yeah, eight. The two hardest years are Matthew and John. And so both because they're so long, but I found that narrative material is easier for some quizzers because it's because of the story nature but i find a lot of the transitions and specific words being used to be very hard to memorize so usually the beginning of each chapter and halfway through the chapter whenever there's a location or a kind of a time change it resets and i always had a really hard time remembering which one we were at now like where's jesus going now and what day of the week is it and what festival and I had a really hard time keeping those straight. And then with all the narration and talking going on, there's Jesus said, Peter said to him, uh, Thomas answered. And I always wanted to memorize every single word perfectly. And it's really hard to do in narrative material because of all those little words that sometimes have a, have a lot of meaning, sometimes have very little meaning. And, so, and then also because of just how long the chapters are, there's more verses to memorize The chapters are longer, making reference jumping and quote jumping harder. And so I think that John is the second hardest year to Matthew. And then we're moving to the next year to Hebrews and 1st and 2nd Peter, which I think is the easiest year. I find it easier than GEPC. I think when you're memorizing multiple books, it's a little bit harder. So GEPC is four books. Hebrews and 1st and 2nd Peter is three books. But I can, I definitely see quizzers mixing up first and second Peter. But it is, I think, Hebrews year is the shortest year. If not, it's close to GEPC. But there are no situation questions, so it's kind of a more constrained focus for everyone. There's, I mean, it, I said it's shorter. I, I find that the material is pretty easy to memorize. There's not a whole lot of similar passages and repetition necessarily. There's very little of that narration kind of stuff. 
because there's less narration, there's way fewer possibilities for finish this and finish this in the next questions. So there's usually fewer. And if you're studying for Great West Internationals, it's way easier to figure out which might be asked. Um, and so I kind of like that we go back and forth between gospel years and epistle years because I think gospels are generally harder and epistles are easier. And so we've, we have quizzers this year who all they know in their quizzing career is John, which to me is incredibly intimidating and could be discouraging because it's difficult as all get out. But then next year is kind of um, you can breathe and you have more time and you can memorize the whole material and start to learn more about, oh, what are reference questions? Is it good to know references and stuff like that? But at the same time, if you're wanting to go to Great West or wanting to go to internationals, the standard becomes higher. Whereas this year, if you knew the whole material without references, you probably had a good shot to make internationals. Whereas next year, there's probably going to be a different kind of set of, I'm calling them requirements, but that's missing. Like to score in the top five over the course of the year, you're going to have to be really good at a single question type, maybe. You're going to have to know references for the whole material. You're going to have to um, be reviewing. And so it's kind of a different sort of test, but I find it really nice for the quizzers that are still learning. Um, they have to memorize 460 verses or whatever and not 800. And I think it's a really good back-to-back. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean... Hebrews is substantially easier. I think the only other, and it's not really even a year, it's one half, it's not even one half, it's one portion of one year is easier. I think James is probably the easiest book to memorize of of everything that is in quizzing. Hebrews is probably right next to it, um, slightly harder to memorize than James, but but uh not by a, a substantial margin and of course James is paired with Romans and Romans is not necessarily all that easy to memorize i think it's easier to memorize than John and certainly easier to memorize than Matthew but it's uh definitely Romans is harder to memorize at least in from my perspective it's 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 harder to memorize than James i love James because it's you know it's short it's really easy to memorize hebrews is very much like that you've got short chapters chapter 1 is 14 verses i mean if this is a it 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 looks different on the page even than than john does so you've got a whole lot more uh unique words and unique phrases in the material uh, I think, you know, in terms of sort of mental road markers or like pens mentally to, to kind of jump to a particular location, it has much more opportunity for that. And so like exactly what Scott said, I think the jump, the, the memorization, we're going to have more people memorize more verses uh, as a result of the, the material being easier, which I think is fantastic. But that also means as a quizzer, you kind of have to step up your threshold for what you consider to be. I'm good with that particular verse. I've memorized it enough because everyone else is going to be able to get to whatever that threshold was for last year a little bit faster. And so if you want to remain competitive, you kind of have to step up your game a little bit. I, I would echo what Scott said and underscore it a lot about references. Uh, I think the what's really going to separate next year, what's going to separate the top tier quizzers from everybody else is going to be their ability to know references. If you can memorize a verse with a reference, and I I shouldn't say if, because I believe everybody can. If you practice with your references, if you dedicate time to memorizing the reference along with the material, you're going to have an edge. uh, And that edge is going to be really critical if you want to score in, in the top portions of the stats area. If, if you want to get to Great West, I think that's going to be really important to really na- nail down those references. Uh, in terms of content, I mean, John is a beautiful poetic uh, sort of uh, piece, uh, and, and certainly the narrative is beautiful. The poetry of John is beautiful. Uh, Hebrews approaches things from a little bit more of a theologianistic kind of perspective, which I know for me, just as a kind of a theology nerd, kind of gets me a little bit excited. Uh, not that there's a lack of theology in John by any stretch of the imagination at all, of course, but the way Hebrews is structured and the way it flows and the topics that that are encountered in the material are very exciting to, to get through. And I, I, I love seeing these very uh, complex topics being sort of wrestled with in the minds of quizzers throughout the course of the year. That, for me, 
as an official is very exciting and fulfilling to see when you've got these junior high and high school kids who are wrestling with very complex concepts that uh, a lot of uh, maybe adults now in churches aren't really deciding to wrestle with. Uh, it, it gives me hope for the future uh, to see quizzers who are doing that. So, I mean, I'm, I'm very excited about what's going to happen uh, with Hebrews and First and Second Peter, and of course, First and Second Peter, a little bit confusing between the, the the first two, much much shorter, very short books in both cases. So, in some ways, can be easier. In some ways, can be a little bit more tricky, especially around the area of references and reference questions and so forth. So, like I said, memorize your references. That will that will be a huge service to yourself to be able to get those references down along with the material. But then, just as a matter of um, uh, as a matter of, I don't know, trivia in a, in a sense. So John wrote the book of John. Matthew wrote the book of Matthew. Paul wrote the book of Romans. James wrote the book of James. Uh, so, uh, Scott, who do you think wrote Hebrews? Did Paul write Hebrews? Well, see, that's the interesting thing. So my daughter, I asked my daughter who wrote Hebrews, and she looked at me kind of uh, with a puzzled look and said, well, one of the Hebrews did. And I said, well, okay, that's very likely true. Which one? It's like, I don't know, one of them. You're like, well, okay, I guess that's a reasonable answer. So historically, there is a, a sort of a traditional belief that Paul was the writer of Hebrews. However, scholarship is somewhat fractured uh, on this opinion. So most scholars now don't actually believe Paul wrote Hebrews, but it is definitely not a settled uh, question. There are some wild well, I don't know. Wild's probably not the right word. There are some interesting uh, theories that sort of advocate that maybe it was Mary Magdalene who wrote it. Maybe it was, you know, uh, uh, somebody after uh, who, who was uh, after Christ's uh, death and resurrection, who was part of the church in Jerusalem. Maybe they, that person wrote it. Um, there's some squirrely arguments that say maybe one of uh, uh, Jesus's relatives wrote it. Uh, so there's a lot of different perspectives around who sort of could have been the right person. I don't think we really know. Um, I'd say it, I, I, and I, I think this, there, there are some spots in Hebrews that sound Paulish, right? And so, you know, when you're reading them, you're seeing a lot of parallels to Paul, kind of like, yeah, maybe Paul did write Hebrews. It, it kind of seems to fit, but there's a lot of other, you know, sort of examples where, it doesn't actually make a lot of sense. Um, Paul uses the title in his fairly consistently in Pauline uh, scripture. He uses this title, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord was very important to him to use that title. Hebrews is a little bit simpler, tends to refer to Jesus as Jesus or just Jesus Christ. Uh, that sort of stuff it refers to him in a slightly different way. Paul tends to open and close his epistles, his letters in a very sort of standard sort of format. They're sort of the, the greetings from so-and-so and place, and then sort of a benediction at the end of the letter. Uh, Hebrews doesn't follow that pattern at all. Um, there's the style itself where Hebrews uh, doesn't really follow the same sort of characteristics, sort of the, the abrupt style and language of, of the Pauline epistles. So there's some some differences there. So, I mean, there's some arguments to be made that it wasn't Paul, but historically it's been accredited to, not accredited, is that the right word? Credited uh, to Paul. So it's kind of, it's an interesting dilemma around around who uh, who wrote it. Certainly it's highly inspired, uh, highly divinely inspired, and the church has always believed that, but uh, interesting that we have some doubts as to who wrote it. Yeah, very interesting. I think for the scramble meet, You'll probably be doing either the first five or the first six chapters of Hebrews. The first five is right around 80 verses total, and the first six is around, around 100. And kind of that's right in that 85 to 110 verses is what we usually shoot for for the scrambled meat. But none of those chapters are longer than 20 verses. And I would definitely try your hand at just picking one of the chapters and memorize it without references and review it and just kind of see how it feels and see how the recall feels based off the reference and see if your confidence level changes. And you don't have to do that for the first six chapters. Just pick one of them. And I found it very eye-opening for me and how differently I felt about the material when I was going into a quiz. Yeah, yeah. Adding the references to memorization, certainly, I, I think it highly increases the comfort level 
Uh, and it certainly provides a way to jump around the material a lot easier mentally. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, 2018 rulebook, Quizzer Prompts, or Quiz Master Prompts, I guess. Yes. So this is interesting. So for for Great West, we were preparing the quizzers, and I was preparing as a quiz master for a different set of quiz master prompts than we typically use within the district. The key ones being, again, is only used on keyverse questions, and more is much sparingly used. Much more sparingly used. But I get to Great West and realize that there is a version of the rulebook I didn't know about that came out in December of 2018, which actually re-added back in a lot of the Quizmaster prompts that we kind of already use within PNW and are pretty familiar with. So most of the Quizmaster prompts that we have been using are actually in the current rulebook, which is the December 2018 version. And so it could be that there are very few changes for next year. That said, depending on how uh, outspoken I want to be, I think there are ways to simplify the Quizmaster prompts that will make things better for everybody. We'll see how outspoken I want to be about that. <clears throat> so that is one thing about Quizmaster prompts that was kind of a roller coaster ride for me, but really has almost no change for you, the quizzer. Now, if there are changes to the rulebook that any of you would like to see, either the PNW rulebook or the CMA kind of local district rulebook, um, your district leadership would love to know about that. And there are definitely some rules that have been adopted by the CMA rulebook that have not been adopted by PNW yet for our district that will be on the table for discussion once again in the off-season steering committee meeting. So I think one of the foremost ones will be, do we want to switch to the question type minimums and maximums that the CMA rulebook lays out and that are used for our out-of-district meets? <clears throat> now, if you have strong feelings about this, you want to be talking to your coach or your program leader so that that feedback gets gets to the steering committee before they have their meeting and decide. Um, that's probably the biggest one. I really don't see us going to assign seat bonuses, and those are really the two ways that we differ from um, the CMA rulebook. So I think that's all that I have to say about the 2018 rulebook and potential changes for next year. Yeah. Are you you're on the CQLT right now, right? I am not on the CQLT, which is the CMA Quizzing Leadership Team. I am on what is called a rules, the Rules Subcommittee, which is made up of one CQLT member, and they picked, I think, four of us from different districts. Um, let me count. Three from the United States and one from Canada. So there's five of us that discuss rules as they come in, and then I believe we end up proposing the change, and the CQLT gets to approve it. So I am I am not on the CQLT, so I don't have any leadership authority within CMA Bible quizzing. But I often am presented with potential rule changes or improve, potential improvements to current rule. Very cool. Are you planning on sticking around on that subcommittee next year? Um, I I think I am. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't see why not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they would be very glad to keep you around. Perhaps. <laughs> yeah fair enough <laughs> so uh any chance any of the uh, crazy rules that we talked about the last few episodes might get uh, injected potentially i just don't i mean some parts of me feel like i have to pick my battles but other parts of me feel like if it's a really good idea why not do it you know like i think something like getting rid of more and again for the quizmaster prompts to me that's a slam dunk whereas something like ascending third and fourth and fifth person bonus point values. That one's not necessarily a slam dunk. There are probably some unattended consequences or some people that wouldn't like it, you know? Um, but there's, I mean, I could probably come up with 10 things that I consider to be slam dunks, but would go through a whole um, probably email and schedule meeting and talk about it for 90 minutes and probably not come to a conclusion. So I just, you know, stuff like positive, negative, multiple answers, which to me seem kind of like a train wreck, the state of reference questions is, I mean, I guess it's fine because 98, 9% of the time I get to rule the way that I would want to rule, but that 1% really grinds my gears, <laughs> <laughs> um, which, I mean, I can get over it. I know it's the 1%, um, but there are there definitely a handful of things that I may or may not, you know, I mean, I think the, the off season would be a great time, you know, maybe I can queue up my five top ideas and have it in front of the rules committee before internationals, but it would not be enacted until next year. 
if yeah. um, anything decided to be enacted. Well, you know, there's one slam dunk that you didn't list. Yeah, because maybe it's not my slam dunk. Maybe it's other people's oh, slam dunk. But see, I don't have the kind of power and influence that, that Scott does. This is true. I mean, <laughs> relatively speaking, you do not. But absolutely speaking, you're probably overstating my level of authority and influence. Perhaps. I think I can probably convince P&W to drop the zero, but I don't think I could convince anybody outside. Uh, well, no, I've actually, well, that's not true. I convinced Heather to drop the zero. I mean, she's solidly in my camp now, right? Yes. So I don't know. Maybe it's a it's an idea whose time has come. Maybe uh, maybe the 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 killing of the zero is in our future. It could be. Yeah. I wonder what would have to what would be have to be reworked because there's really not a lot of scorekeeping software or electronics out there. I mean, Heather alluded to those scoreboards, but I think a pretty you know something like a piece of black paper could be all that's needed. Although it does ink in the Rightmost spot, it's where the zero goes. So then in the second to the left is where like a 20, the two would go for a 20. But once you get to 200, now I guess you could just lop off the rightmost zero in that space and you'd be fine. Um, Acme has some scorekeeping within their software, but I really don't know of, there, there isn't a lot of software that's orchestrating like a quiz. Yeah. So I, there, it's not like reprinting score sheet templates is a big deal or, you know. Right. Um, and if I know CMD for an internationals developed a whole scorekeeping template that's basically in Excel and it gives the scorekeeper, the statistician, a really easy way to cut and paste the results of each quiz. And upon paste, all the meat stats are updated. So there might be some hard coded values in there that would have to be updated if that is being used at either um, internationals or within CMD. But there, there, there might not be a ton of legacy things requiring a migration and an update if we were to do it. Right. Well, and the other side of the, the thing is if you randomly encounter at the last moment something that can't be changed, it's very easy to just ignore. Um, so, I mean, even if you had, say, a, an Excel document that, uh, you know, required the use of the extra zeros, you could simply decide to use the extra zeros for that particular template. Uh, and I mean, mentally, it's not that big of a shift. Sure. I agreed. Well, interesting stuff. All right. Well, what's next? Paraphrased questions. Do you want me to set this one up? Yeah, probably. Because, um, I don't know. You probably will be able to explain it. Actually, I know you'll be able to explain it better than I could. All right. So we're talking, let's, let's simplify things. We're only going to be talking about single answer chapter verse reference questions. Let's look at John 110. It says he was in the world. Let's say my question is, he was in what? Um, that is actually a chapter reference, so um, we can call it a chapter reference for, for the purposes of this. He was in what as a chapter reference? Well, to me, even though if, let's say this was part of an interrogative question, he was in the world, if the quizzer said he was, um, well, I'm trying to think of something that is different but still makes sense. He came into the world as too big of a change, and he was on the world is kind of a nonsensical change. How about is? Uh, he is in the world. Yeah, perfect. Let's say the quizzer said he is in the world. Now, you can definitely argue that the tense really changes the meaning, um, but let's ignore that for, for this purpose. Um, if you're on an interrogative question, that might be enough for the quiz master to say, you know what, you're correct. But the quiz master has the luxury of 30 seconds. So if the quizzer says he is in the world, the quiz master can just sit there, silent, and let the time run out. Because if the quizzer then says he was in the world, well, then the quizmaster is assured they are absolutely correct. And then if the quizzer never changes it and just sticks with he is in the world, you still have a decision, but if it's an interrogative, you might deem that paraphrase, what we're calling a paraphrase, to be close enough, you got all the required information, you didn't say anything incorrect. So now move to a reference question, where the quizzer has to give the question. Now, there is no requirement for reference questions for the text given to be word perfect or for the question to necessarily match verbatim what's on the quizmaster's card. But at the point that the quizzer says he is in the world, the quizmaster has a conundrum because if you think that they have given enough to be correct, you should prompt for the question at this point. Now, if later you determine that, well, is is the tense actually matters a ton and it should have been was, well, then you messed up as a quizmaster by prompting. And we're misleading, and you need to throw the question out and start over, which is not something that we want to do um, if it can be avoided. Now, let's say, though, you deem, you know what? It is 
like, totally fine. He is in the world. And you prompt for the question, and the quizzer gives, he is what? Well, now you're left to decide if that's, if you can accept that as the question, which was kind of, the quizzer was basing their formed question off of the text that they had just said that caused you to prompt them for their question. And some may argue that because the, the phrase, he is, does not occur in this verse, there's no way that that can be a valid reference question. Um, and do you have an opposing argument, Griffin? Well, yeah. So my opposing argument is uh, basically we we don't have a third standard in the rule book. So essentially we have kind of two standards for what is considered correct enough uh, in the rule book, right? So some, and, and of course we've talked about this a little bit in the past, which for people new to quizzing gets very confusing that somebody can be not incorrect, but not correct enough yet. Right. So um, imagine this as like, you're in the middle of jeopardy. You're in the middle of answering a question. You haven't provided enough information to be wrong. Like Alex Trebek can't call you wrong yet. Uh, you still have like, you know, time on the clock and that sort of stuff, but you haven't provided the, enough of a correct answer for him to be able to count you correct. So that's sort of the almost correct state, right? We essentially have two levels of correct though. We have what you could call the interrogative level of correct and the quote level of correct. So like quote would be quote, uh, quote these two verses, finish this, finish these two verses, finish this in the next verse, all of that kind of stuff, right? All of that has to be done word perfectly. So if, you know, if you do he was versus or he is versus he was, you're wrong. Uh, if you add an A in there, you're, you're, well, sorry, not wrong. You are, you cannot be counted correct. You must get it absolutely word perfect. Now, you aren't wrong as long as you still have time on the clock, right? But that's sort of the level of the question. Whereas in the inter interrogative world, you can say, well, as long as the tense doesn't change the meaning, which of course in this particular example in verse 10, eh, okay, maybe there's an argument that it could, um, but we're kind of, we're, for the purposes of the discussion, we're setting that aside for a moment. Um, in, in this particular case, uh, at the level of interrogative, uh, he is versus he was is, let's call that equivalent, right? So then when you take it from, when you take the question type and you move it from an interrogative to a chapter verse reference, uh, I would argue that the question of the, uh, the question portion of the CVR cannot be required at a higher degree of correctness than the answer. And the answer of a CVR is certainly required at the same level of correctness as an interrogative. And so unless, until or unless the rule book is edited to say no for the question of a CVR, we're going to raise the standard to something higher than the standard for an interrogative. I think you have to be allowing for that same sort of thing, uh, the same sort of, I, we call it paraphrasing, uh, in the question. Now, of course, this runs into a problem, uh, not a problem, a dilemma, a very, very quick time uh, limited dilemma for quiz masters, like what Scott was alluding to the idea being that, you know, if somebody says he is in the world as a quiz master, I have to decide very quickly whether that's good enough to call the question. And if I am slightly wrong, I'm going to have to toss the question and redo the question because it's a quiz master error. That's scary. It's frustrating as a, as a quiz master because you're having to make a very nuanced decision in a very short period of time. And some of these, some of the, some of the nuances are not clear. They are not appreciably clear. And so as a quiz, uh, as a quizzer starts going through their answer, you as a quiz master can hear them answer that and think, Oh, is that good enough? Is that good enough? And it might take you a second or two to kind of go, okay, yes. I can accept that as a paraphrase, but now the quizzer has gotten a couple of extra seconds on there and perhaps has moved on. I then call the question or call for the question that can be considered misleading uh, to the quizzer because I've called for the question at a different time if they've continued on comparative to what they've they've started with. Right. And so going back to something I think, Scott, you were talking about maybe three or four podcasts ago or eh, three, two podcasts ago, I forget, uh, fairly recently. 
the idea being that if I can't, as a quiz master, if I can't call the question at the precise moment, I almost have to never call the question because, or I do knowing that it's misleading because the quizzer added more information. And so ultimately this just ends up in a big ball of tar and uncomfortability and not assuredness from the quiz master's perspective. And we don't like that, but at the same time, I don't know that there's any other option. Yeah. And I think the fallbacks are, it's, it's a very infrequent scenario that the quizzer misquotes the text of a reference question um, close enough to be considered um, like it's time to prompt you for your question, but the specific text that you misquoted is part of the question itself. And so like all of those things have to be happening for this special scenario to occur. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of, I mean, it's just such a corner case on a corner case that I think it's fine to remain, but I'm definitely like when I'm quiz mastering and I see a reference question comes up, especially a, a CVR, right? Because they're often jumped on and I haven't started any of the question at all. So the quizzer has no idea where it starts. I am mentally preparing myself for the, various iterations of the question that the quizzer can give and what I will do in each scenario. So I usually know for for this one, there's three options that I might take as correct. There's these other two that are definitely, I'd count you incorrect. And just to kind of prepare myself. Um, but I mean, that's really, I think the best that a quiz master can, can do on these sorts of questions. But I think, I think it is interesting that functionally, a reference question is just an interrogative where the quizzer has to give a question. But because the quizzer has to give the question, there are all kinds of requirements on what's a valid versus an invalid question and what changes the scope of the question and the answer and determining word or phrase, like all of these added things, which are really in the rule book so that the question writer writes a valid question. But because they're in there, they're defining what is a valid reference question and can be used to call a question that the quizzer provides as invalid, even if the text that they quoted is functionally good enough to be counted right if it were an interrogative. And it's just a very interesting situation. Yeah, yeah, totally. All right. Well, with that, we are at the end of our topics list, so we should probably close out here. So I wanted to make sure again that everyone is aware that if they want to email us, and we would very much love to hear from you, if you have any sort of question or comment or thought regarding quizzing or anything else uh, Christianity related, we'd love to hear from you. Please send your emails and questions and so forth to iq at cbqz.org. And of course, you can follow us and should follow us on Twitter. Uh, our handle or our user account is at Inside Quizzing. And with that, I will bid you all adieu and safe travels to the meet this weekend. Happy listening, everyone. I can't wait to see all the PNW people on Friday at District Champs. 